that actually started an industry-wide charity then called Think Logistics because we had Motor Transport who, who the trade magazine cover it and they were saying look more companies need to do this can you can you encourage more people and that that became like a, it was an award-winning initiative that we started in the last 10 years to try and get more logistics companies to go and engage with young people Hi, and welcome to the North Edge podcast, Beyond the Capital. I'm Lucy Mills, partner responsible for value creation and ESG, and your host for this series. At North Edge, building better businesses isn't just about providing capital. It's about building open and honest relationships, creating responsible businesses, driving value through collaboration, engagement and partnership, and providing ongoing support. But we wouldn't be able to achieve any of that without the great people we have in our business, our portfolio, and our network. And in this series, we'll be speaking to those people to find out more about their stories, their experiences, and how they have worked to build better businesses. Steve, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. As we do with every episode of Beyond the Capital, first things first, can you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got to the role as CEO and then exec chair at Abbey, which was one of our portfolio businesses until late last year? Yeah, no problem. So uh, I actually joined Abbey when it was a small family business in 1995. I joined straight from school at the fresh age of 16. Um, I went in all different parts of the business, but by the age of 24, Abbey made me the finance director. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the company's grown quite well. And then in 2009, the the existing MD, which was Steve Lucy, was one of the founders, asked me whether whether I'd take over as MD of the company. Um, he asked me to go and grow and uh, diversify the company. I think with a view to sell it within a couple of years. And then between 2009 and 2016, we, we grew uh, threefold and Steve quite liked it. Um, but it got to the point where the you know the next stage of development required a lot more capital. So mm. we we looked for external investments, which was North Edge in 2016 mm-hmm. um, and that, that's when I was appointed CEO. So as kind of CEO, exec chair, being at Abbey y- your whole career, what what were the biggest challenges that you faced there and what did you learn? How did you overcome it? What has that meant that you've taken into kind of the experience and, and where you are today? Uh, I, I suppose there's a couple of then I'd look back over my career and think what were the biggest challenges. I think in the early, earlier days, particularly as I became MD of, uh, of Abbey, and probably when I was FD as well, you know, that was a family business with three brothers and, you know, they, they don't have the same rules in terms of like how to engage with each other because they're family. So that was yeah. always fun and games. Uh, and I think managing those type of characters and managing those dynamics of a family business um, taught me a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and the guys were always great in terms of like respecting that and trying to toe the line. But, you know, it, you, you do get to understand the dynamics are very much different in a, in a family business. I think the other one was during our uh, private ownership. So when we first done the, the deal with, with North Edge, we had a significant contract win, which put about 25% growth on the company in the first month. Um, at the same time, we'd completed an acquisition about three months later of, a, of our closest competitor. So that, that grew the business by 50%. And, you know, with a lot of change going on in terms of change of ownership, there was a lot of new senior people who joined the business. Uh, we, we definitely lost our way for 
couple of years. Mm. And it was a it was a difficult time because it was, you know, there was a lot of new people in there, a lot of different dynamics and a lot of different sets of challenges. But um whilst again it was it was the most challenging part of my career, it, it's the period where I learned most. Mm. Um, you know, and you do things differently in the future for sure, having learned mm. those lessons. So mm. I don't I don't view it all as a bad bad time. It was definitely the, the most uh, enhancing period. <laughs> Yes. Well, if you can't learn in those periods, it's uh, it's quite difficult to to know when you will learn. In, in terms of North Edge, then, so we were obviously investors at, yeah. at that point, and I think it's fair to say we were just chatting, weren't we? That you know, I think it's unrealistic for us, any of us, to assume that everything will go perfectly to plan through yeah. that process. Talk us through your relationship with North Edge. So, why did you pick North Edge? In the first place, obviously you were you were leading the business, transitioning it from family ownership into kind of professional, more institutional ownership. You were at the helm. I guess you were, you know, you were a big part of that decision making process. Talk us through why you picked us in the first place, and then some of your experiences of working with North Edge. What do you think makes us different relative to other kind of houses or other experiences that you've had? Um, so I think why did we choose North Edge in the first place? Um, we'll start from there. So that that was actually when we when we did our process last time uh, with the family, we did have a bid from trade which was actually higher than uh, North Edge, but the management team liked the idea of private equity. So you know we we'd effectively ran the business for a number of years. Um, we knew the potential that the business had, and the opportunity to continue running it and also have a stake in the business was was attractive to the management team. Mm. So good enough for the uh, Steve and Mark, who were the, the major shareholders at the time, that they agreed to go with the North Edge offer to allow the management team to have a, a cracker uh, the next stage in development. Mm-hmm. So that, that was why we went with private equity and North Edge in particular. We we just found all the way through the process that the guys we were dealing with, they were very easy to get on with. Um, what they said they were going to do, they, they delivered on it in terms of like, you know, we will get you an offer by this date. We we will agree this by that date. And all the DD was 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 very well managed. And even when we, we had a difficult situation because we were in tender with this large contract, um, it's the biggest in the food industry for tankers. And we'd, we'd officially been given the contract, but we were going through the final DD with North Edge. And we had to approach that situation with the customer to be to be transparent and say, look, we, we will have a change of ownership. And that was a tricky time. So I was thinking, you know, we've worked so hard for this contract. I hope they don't get nervous. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, the managing partner, Grant, actually came to a meeting with British Sugar and mm-hmm. assured them firsthand on what the investment meant and, you know, how it would enhance. And I think, you know, that just having that connection, being able to call down the main people to reassure potential new customers was just a different class for us. Um, and the people we dealt with, it, it, people kept saying to us, you've got to pick the right partners. You know, it's like a marriage. If you get the wrong people in, this is going to be a nightmare for you. And we just hit it off with uh, John and the rest of the team we were dealing with at the time. Mm. And Dan, when, when Dan came in. So it's all about relationships and, you know, North Edge, the people at North Edge are genuine down to earth, uh, trustworthy people. What what was your experience then post transaction? Because I guess that really is. I mean, and, and Abby is a is a really great example because 
you know, one of the things that we always say to management teams is, you know, reference how private equity, a private equity house acts when things are going well, but also reference where things maybe haven't quite gone to plan or have been, you know, more challenging. Because I think that that really shows the true colours of the the culture and the approach of the firm. You know, you have experienced both the really positive and really successful times that we've shared together. But as you mentioned earlier, there were times when it, it didn't quite go to plan. What did you find helpful about North Edge? What what would you share about some of that experience or what things would you maybe, what misconceptions would you like to kind of talk through for people that are listening, maybe thinking about private equity in their business? Yeah. So I think the private equity does, and, you know, even when we were looking at it, it the stigma that's attached to it sometimes around um, asset stripping or, you know, swamping the board, firing, firing people too quickly. And, all the all the information we were getting from advisors about North Edge was like they are different, and you know that's a big that's a big uh, leap of faith that you're taking. You know, are yeah. you genuinely different to that stigma, or or is this just to get the process done? And you only ever know that, unfortunately, when the times go bad, and then you can test. You know, what is the resilience of the relationship, and are they are they trustworthy? And obviously, when we had we had our bad uh, periods of trading, um. All the things that were flashing through my mind about what John was saying to me on coming into Abbey, which was like, you know, we're backing you, we're backing the management team. Um, when you're going through legal documentation, which is quite overwhelming with things like swamping rights and, and all the rest of it and where you're ranked in terms of equity, you're thinking, you know, if something goes wrong, they'll just swamp us and put a new team in and move you out. <clears throat> and at the time when things were going bad, I had, I had a sit-down conversation with John and said, look, we, th- things need to change. This, this isn't going to plan. Um, and this is what we need to do. And at the end of the meeting, John said straight away, like, you know, I told you from day one, we back, we're backing you and your team, and that's exactly what we'll do. So if that if this is what needs to happen, which was exiting some people, changing the strategy a little bit, then that's what we'll do. Mm-hmm. And they did that. Um, they provided capital to trade through that period and trade trade out of it with, with the plan that I'd put to them. Uh, and that was the best test of... The trustworthiness of North Edge and with the fact that they are actually different, not just um, a sales pitch. <laughs> and what about in so the last three, four years of the relationship was aligned to that new strategy, coming out of it, brought some new people around the table. What was that period like for you as kind of leader of the business? That was the period where you started to transition from kind of CEO to exec chair that was the that was the business that we took to market together at the end you know yeah. kind of in in the last 12 months talk us through that period because that must have felt quite a different period but also then another transition for you as an individual and how did all yeah. that how did all of that feel from somebody that started it in at 16 years old because of a school program that had yeah. kind of given you that hint of Abbey might be a great place to work through to that point that culminated in in the sale of the business to Citra. Yeah, it was it was a much better period. <laughs> that, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, what, once it took us about eighteen months to, to basically fix the business. The, the priority, obviously, first is just to sort your cash flow out and then start to rebuild, um, put the people in. And 
throughout that period, the guys were so supportive in terms of they wasn't swamping us all the time with, you know, sitting in our meetings and they, they were almost just like, give us a plan. Let's have a weekly catch up against the plan. What's going right? What's going wrong? Um, we're going to give you space to, and capital to to fix it. Um, and as we as we fixed it and then we were starting to grow again, we really got back on the front foot. That, that was a much more enjoyable time. Mm-hmm. And then obviously COVID come along. So that was about six months after we we felt like we we straightened it out, and we thought, now well, what what now type of thing. Um, and during that time, uh, uh, during COVID, I, I'd been approached by an old friend of mine about who, who owns applied nutrition, and he was just asking some advice throughout COVID. Um, and he he gave me an opportunity to say, you know, <clears throat> which later on in time, so would would you come on board, you know, and help us out? And obviously, I was CEO of Abbey at the time. Um, I had a conversation with John to say, look, this opportunity, this was in early 21, this opportunity's come up. Um, obviously, we will look to exit Abbey at some point. I won't be staying around after this because of this other opportunity. So should we look now at kind of like succession, succession planning? Um, and should I start to transition into more of a, uh, a part-time role than being a full-time leader? And again, Fair play to John. His, his words to me were, which I remember to the day, was, you, you know, you've always done what you you told us you would do, so we we owe you one. So yeah, let's let's agree a plan. We'll, we'll make you make you as easy as we can for you. So what we went on then was just to try and find the next suitable MD or CEO of the company. So we had somebody internally who we'd recruited about twelve months before. Um, I started to train him up into a managing director of business whilst I reduced my days. And it was a transition period over about two and a half, three years, um, which culminated in the last 12 months when I became exec chair. Um, so I'd gone down to doing a day a week for Abby, um, and the, the new CEO was in place. The business was performing consistently well. And it was a, yeah, it was, it was, it was a great experience for me because I'd spent so long in the business, not, not working on it, but, you know, really in the, the trenches in the in the company to then being much more you know like overview of the company mm. more strategic and the the way it makes you think so much differently in terms of like strategically um relationship wise with the investors and, and I enjoyed the role it, it was mm. a, it was an enjoyable role where I, I felt I was adding good strategic value um but also letting go enough to let the the guys run it as they see fit and not, not keep interfering like a backseat driver. Hmm. I think that is the super important part, though, because that transition could happen over a number of years. And therefore, actually, from a succession exit process perspective, that wasn't you know something that was being dealt with in the middle of a process. That was something that we'd got time to make sure was worked yeah. through for for all shareholders concerned in in that transaction so i think you know that is a big thing for founders and ceos etc you know it's when you go into a partnership with an investor you know we are backing you as john yeah. told you many times and that's why you know i think succession has to be dealt with but it has to be dealt with you know openly and honestly and transparently and you know, I think the way that you and and kind of Dave and the board have managed to do that was absolutely the right way because the business will have felt 
that changeover. It's not a shock yeah. knee-jerk reaction, is exactly, it? Exactly, yeah. It's something that kind of transitions yeah. transitions over time. What yeah. What did you find in that last 12 months then? So obviously you were doing a playing a very different role. There was then the process and yeah. managing shareholders, managing incoming shareholders, yeah. you know, building the plan. Talk through what that period was like, because there's a lot, there'll be lots of people that are listening to this that have never been through the first private equity transaction, let alone the transaction, the kind of growth period, and then the first kind of exit from that first chapter of a, a story. So yeah. talk us through that. But it'd it been a bit stop-start because of COVID. So we, we'd planned to do it earlier. And then with COVID restrictions, people couldn't travel and all the rest of it. Um, so I think we we wanted to then just trade a couple of years after COVID. But that was good because I'd been at the business for so long, I wouldn't have just said, you know, I'm going from five days and I'm, and I'm off. You know, I, I'd, I've never, I'd have never left the business in that position. I wanted to transition it properly. And then as we headed into the final year, we, we, you know, and the, and the, the exit process, um, I know people have said to me in the past, like, oh, the exit process is the most stressful time of your life. But for me, it's the most rewarding because it's it is the reward of all the work you've done previously. If you, if you get a, if you get an exit away, you know, you then clearly you, something's gone right. Mm. Um, and finding the right partner was key as well. So I think North Edge were really respectful about that. You know, they wanted it to go to the right home because they knew it was a it, even though it was a private equity company, it still had the culture of a family business mm. with long serving people. So they they were really respectful in terms of choosing the right buyer, not just accepting anyone to come and bid for it. Um and thankfully we got another hollow private equity backed, but it's family uh, history business in Citra who acquired Abby. So I think culturally it was the right fit. Mm. Um and throughout that process, you know, because people do have during an exit process different ambitions or objectives. You know, you got you got exit and shareholders like North Edge. You've got exit and shareholders like management who might be staying on in the role. Um, so that it does get a bit conflicting mm. at times in terms of people's interests. But the support North Edge gave was just second to none. Um, and again, at times when we'd say to them, "Look, we're going to have to do this to." make the deal happen or um, concede on this point. They, they were just really respectful and um, fair in, in the whole process. And even with incentivising management to get, you know, a good exit, they, they looked after management, made sure everybody was happy on exit. Um, and it wasn't what like about North like practical support? Was it, did you find that that was an important part of that? Clearly we do this all the time this is our yeah. job that we you know that we kind of transact deals and it's not something that management do as often so what about the kind of you know really encouraged to hear that what how we behaved throughout was how we said we would behave on the way in I think you cannot get a better representation of who we are as a firm through what, yeah. what you just said but what about some of the more like practical parts of that process did you find that having North Edge a partner through that was helpful for you and, and management definitely yeah because it, it is quite straining there's a lot of demand in terms of due diligence and um, dealing with your own lawyers dealing with their lawyers um, North Edge is in terms of they, they feel there's a lot of calls for us um, and also even in negotiation you know you, you might take something at face value Whereas what North Edge would do a lot of the time would play devil's advocate and say, okay, well, what what if the intention really is this, or what if this happens? And and I found that really really helpful because mm. they've been there, as you say, many more times than 
the management team have. It's the day jobs of professional investors. Mm. Um, so to have that resource in your corner when you're going through a sale process and even when you're buying businesses, it's um, it's practically really, really helpful. Mm. And, and also, you know, because we were selling to a private equity-backed business, having a private equity-backed company in your corner as well to understand, like, you know, modelling and what they need to see in terms of yeah. numbers, how it works, what what will tick the box, what won't. That was really helpful because they just speak the same language as, as the buyer, mm. Uh, mm. whereas a lot of it was going over management's head because it's not it's not our uh, forte. Yeah, it's not your day. It's not your day to day job, is it? Yeah, we yeah. couldn't do your job just, either. So no, no, and <laughs> I think it's just managing advisors as well. You know, your lawyers, your banks, your your uh, corporate mm. finance people having those strong relationships where they can pull levers to to either get, you know, more support or whatever that might be, calling the right people in at the right time. They were very helpful with that. I'm going to take you back to COVID and some of the stuff that we were super encouraged by from um, an Abbey perspective. So actually in terms of what you guys do, I guess, you know, not key worker in the same way as the NHS, but but what Abby is doing is moving raw materials for food production, right? It's quite yeah. a critical part of the infrastructure. At the time, there was a huge, you know, huge challenge around how do you do that safely? There was a huge challenge around how do you keep how do you keep people in the industry? Um, you know, the driver challenge, fuel increases, there's lots and lots of things to kind of contend with. Um, and you guys did lots and lots of stuff in that space, particularly around kind of your people and apprenticeships and bringing people on. Just talk to us about what you did, why you did it, and what do you think the benefit of doing that was for the business in the in that period of time, but also kind of more long term? Yeah. So at the time, I think my worry in particular was um we have we employ mobile uh, mobile workforce you know some of these people won't see our office staff for five days in a the week they'll just be on the road mm-hmm. and the logistics industry has an aging workforce as well so those people were probably the most vulnerable for covid mm-hmm. the vast majority of our workforce and it wasn't like you just sit in your cab you know you're, you're having to engage at delivery points collection points um new service stations so th- there was a genuine uh, health risk and what we thought was like well you know we are going to be expected to continue working because people still need to eat factories still need to produce food how do we engage our mobile workforce and what can we do to keep them motivated whilst the office staff are all sat at home you know in mm. cozy cozy environments so we put a lot of emphasis on communication that was the first thing um we we did a letter to all the drivers every single week basically with an update of you know what 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 we were doing what was going right what was going wrong you know just thanking them all the time for what they were doing we did things like we sent every employee um a health pack with like some vitamins in it um to just to encourage them to you know for the immune systems and show them that we were actually thinking about about their health during during yeah. covid um we did things for staff who were at home as well because you know people couldn't go to the gym and people were at home so mental health wise that could be a bit of a struggle. So we we employed um, an online coach who'd, who'd done like um, sessions for the staff, so they could they could mm-hmm. dial in, in in the morning, do a session, uh, and then the mobile workers could actually do that session off a recorded one when, whenever it suited them as well. And we just did lots of that, um, mm. lots of 
lots of recognition and lots of communication because as I say it was a it was a very uncertain time and we had a lot of um Asian Asian workforce so we had to, we had to make sure we kept them incentivized. We we also did a bonus as well. Um we gave the staff a bonus through COVID just to say thank you for keeping the wheels turning and uh, keeping the business moving. And I think what it actually did, because it's difficult with a mobile workforce to have strong engagement, but I think the business actually became stronger through COVID because mm-hmm. management and, and the, the workforce got closer and engaged a lot more. And I think we got a lot of respect for, for the, from the workforce for that. And what, what about all the... Um stuff that you guys have done on apprenticeship so i kind of get the abbey what is it called the magazine that comes out quarterly it's got a name and i can't remember what the name is abbey life yeah. or something yeah the, the abbey way the abbey way yeah. and i remember reading that and there was always a story about you know a driver or somebody new joining or you know you attracting people into the industry that are young and maybe are a bit more diverse how important was that to you as kind of leader of the business how important was it to the business and what kind of long-term benefits have you seen from from doing that? Would you encourage other people to think outside the box? You know, what were the benefits, and what were the bits that you've learned from that that you'll you'll take into your your new role? Um, so obviously, because I was employed by the company through a school, it wasn't it wasn't a school program. They literally just went to the old school and said, "We can we interview some people for for jobs." So in twenty fourteen. Uh, I'd, I'd taken over as MD and I said to Steve Lucy, we're going to go back to the same school and we're going to repeat the process, but we're going to do it a bit more structured way. And we gave a, a presentation on logistics to 50, 50 people who were probably 15, 16. Um, it, and the opening slide was was like, who knows what logistics is? And I had about 50 more slides on logistics and not mm-hmm. one person even knew what the word meant. So I was like, oh, this, this is not going right here. <laughs> um so we just changed the plan went through it all but at the end of the um the session the vast majority of them was like 90 percent of the people in the room put their hands up to say they wanted to apply for the position which we were blown away by and that that actually started an industry-wide charity then called think logistics because we had motor transport who, who the trade magazine covered it and they were saying look more companies need to do this can you can you encourage more people and that that became like a it was an award-winning uh, initiative that we started in the last 10 years mm. <clears throat> to try and get more logistics companies to go and engage with young people because we could see it. We had an aging workforce and that the perception of the sector was um, really poor. COVID helped that because all of a sudden trucks and trailers were superheroes because they were they were out doing jobs, real jobs, while we were all sat at home. Mm. Um, so I think the industry got a lot of good, good press through that period. But in terms of what it's done for, for Abbey, um, the amount of young people we've brought to that school programme since, and you look at our, our current board now, Paul Averick, uh, who heads up the power of the business, he started the same day as me in 95 as a, as a trainee. Peter Cunningham heads up the liquid business. He started probably around 2000, uh, straight from school. Mm. Paul Jameson joined us when he was 17. He's now the finance director. Um, I don't want to miss anyone off, but there's, there's so many young mm. people and, and you look at the next wave of apprentices we've got there's someone in the workshop there's someone in your finance team who were all really performing out the skins uh, mm. and the retention of them is excellent you know we yeah. don't lose a lot of apprentices they last, they last for like 20 30 years um and they don't bring any bad habits in you know where people say you need experience sometimes 
10 years of bad experience. Uh, mm. Whereas people coming from school with the right attitudes, you can mould them the way you want. Uh, it's it's always been a successful programme for us. Yeah, and I think it's it's really nice because so often what you what we all see from a professional perspective, certainly in the investment community, probably the perception of private equity about businesses is that everybody is a university graduate or yeah. has an MBA or has a qualif- you know, has a finance qualification or, you know, yeah. whatever that looks like. And I think it's so important that everybody when they hear this when we go and talk to people you know yes it's hard work yes there will always need to be a mix of skills around the table and some of those will need to come from qualifications and learning and experience but some of it is about determination and resilience and hard work and drive and I think Abby is a really great story of you if you work hard enough you are good enough and and you can make it to the top right you started as I assume yeah. an apprentice when you were 16 or or not in yeah. a not in a senior position certainly you know and you've just mentioned however many members of the board of Abbey are people that came without a lot of qualifications without loads of industry experience yeah but have still managed to make it to the top from a business perspective yeah and and they are they are the DNA of the company now you know it's if you if you take all that people out like like you know we did with some of them during that, that period we had it literally does, the company will uh, suffer very bad. So I think having the mixture of the DNA of the business, the long-term people who understand the culture, understand the business with those professionals coming in, that, that's when mm. it becomes a powerful combination then. Yeah, I think the mix, the mix is important, isn't it? But I think it's just such a great example of any of us can do run a business, any of us can lead yeah. businesses if we want to. And you, you kind of sometimes enough, yeah. you just have to be a bit brave and yeah. move imposter syndrome out of the way and just kind of yeah. crack on. Yeah, spot on. So you've had quite a bit of experience of growing up in a business, growing a business, taking a business through two transactions, doing some MA in there, facing a difficult trading period, facing a pandemic, which none of us knew was coming. What would you say to other people kind of starting out in their careers, maybe as CEO, as leaders of, of businesses? What would you say to them? And what would you say to people who are thinking about, but maybe a bit nervous about private equity investment? What would you say to those people um, about your kind of journey and what, what they should do next? Uh, I think from, from the CEO point of view, um, you've got to trust your gut. You know, it's, a lot of the time you kick yourself and, and think, I, I knew that, you know, my gut told me I, I should go left and I went right, you know, that type of thing. You've got to believe in yourself, have have a clear plan, stick to the plan, but that if the plan's not working, be be brave enough to change it. Um, but I think having a core plan and just sticking to it and, and trusting your gut, that, that that's probably, you know, a, a major help for me anyway in, in my career. And then from a private equity point of view, it's it's you've got to think, and you've got to think in advance as well. It's not something you can just say, do you know what, I've, I just listened to that podcast and want to do private with my company tomorrow. You, you do have to prepare your company. It, it has to be ready for, for investments or for for sale. Um, and you've got to be clear on what, what are you doing it for? You know, so if, 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 you, if you've had enough for your business, you know, it's not, and you can sell, you can sell to private equity, 
but majority of the time, I think where it works best is do do you want to grow your business? Do you need do you need extra capital and expertise to, to grow your business? Mm. Um, because that's where private equity can add the best value. You know, they can they've got people who've done this time and time again. They've got great great support networks. Um, they do drive professionalism into your business and governance and accountability, which you do need. Uh, you measure everything. So, you know, through, through private equity, because of the questions that they will ask, you think that's a, that's actually a good question. We don't measure that. And if you don't measure something, there's no way you can manage it. You know, there's no way of knowing is it getting better or worse. <clears throat> so we ended up in Abbey with a, a fantastic uh, ballpark. Any, any question you would ask, we had data on it and trends. Mm. Uh, and that that's really important. And then obviously the capital is a big one. So, you know, North Edge and other private equity companies have access to huge amounts of capital which they want to deploy um they're looking for the right opportunities it's not it's not a fight to get the money off them if the right opportunity presents then there's a queue of uh, good private companies waiting to invest what would you say around how to pick your private equity partner because you, you mentioned a lot there that kind of cultural fit piece but what, what would you say is the are the big things that you would say to other people around how they assess who the right partner is for their journey i'll probably say what, what i said before which is you, you've got to you've got to get on with them you know during that due diligence process there will be times when you, there's a bit of conflict see how see how they behave during during those times uh you're looking for people who will be fair fair with you uh, you know you're not gonna you're not gonna win every argument on a negotiation but if you feel like you know what that that's fair you know that that's what i always think gut feel is that that is fair so let's go with it I think if you got a relationship right, that's the priority. Um, where where are they at in terms of the the investment funds? You know, because it tends to be ten year cycles versus your ambition. Um, if you want to do a quick one and two year turnaround, and that that's that's fine. Doesn't matter about where they're at, but you know, just look at where that in the cycle of that. Uh, talk to other investment portfolio companies. You know, pick a few. Just ring them up and. Ask them the question, say, you know, how's it gone? How have you found it? What's good? What's bad? Um, yeah, and that, that that would probably be it, you know, and, and look at look at the, the sectors they're investing in because mm. I know North Edge are quite diverse in terms of uh, what, what you've invested in, but um, there's quite a lot of similarities in some investments. So I think, you know, just making sure you've got the experience of at least, say, industrial or financial services or tech, Make sure they've got some experience of, of those sectors as well. Mm. We're going to end the podcast on four quick fire questions that we ask everybody. I say quick fire, but some of them are a bit <laughs> bit of a trick quick fire question because uh, quick fire question because they are not that easy to answer. The first one is who has inspired you the most throughout your career and why? Uh, I'd say Stephen Lucy because he he was you know the person who recruited me at Abbey and. He'd constantly give me opportunities, which I always thought were, were ahead of time. So, you know, he'd want me to go and sit SEMA when I wanted to do AAT first. He wanted me to become MD when I thought I was too young, you know. And and, and when I look back, I think he was just constantly, he had a higher opinion of me than I had of myself. Mm. And, you know, he, he'd present the opportunities and give me the chance, whereas 99% of other uh, owners or CEOs probably wouldn't have given me those opportunities at that, that age. Mm. and it sounds like you uh have spent lots of your career at Abbey trying to pay that forward as well so yeah. that clearly has uh had quite a Not big scars, impression yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um 
What is the best book you've ever read slash favourite podcast other than this one, obviously? Um, probably best best book I actually read was uh, it's business books. I don't read many books. I only ever read business books if I do read. And I read one years ago called Growing Pains. Uh, mm. And I, it just resonated so much with what we were going to at Abbey. And there was the big, you know, fallout with the family. And um, when I was reading the book, it was like, Jesus, is this is this based on Abby? And I and I, I really enjoyed the book because I I learned a lot from it and uh, I, probably the biggest lesson I learned was that it wasn't just us; it was most most grown businesses have these pains. Yeah. And how you overcome them? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, the path to uh, growth and scale does not always run smooth, does it? No. Um, what personal trait do you think has helped you succeed? Um. I'd say probably resilience. So I think I've been I've been told that in the past by quite a few people is that quite resilient. Uh, it takes a lot to knock me down and keep me down. I just you know if you, if you hit a hurdle, I'm, I'm I might have a short you know moan about it, but then the next day I'm I'm back up thinking right, let's get over it, and let's get on. Yeah, solution finder. Yeah. And the last one, talking of paying it forward, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received that you would like our audience to hear? What I said before, I think trust your gut. The amount of times, as I say, I've had situations where I thought, if I knew that, my gut, my gut told me that, or other people have said to me, you said that, you know, why, why did you do it when you, you, told, you said yourself? So just trust your gut. And if it doesn't work, you know, at least you've made the decision and, and you can take a lessons from it yeah fab thank you so much for that steve thank you so much for taking the time it's been lovely to chat no worries lucy have a good day thank you if you'd like to listen to more insightful stories from the north edge network you can search and subscribe to beyond the capital on any of your usual podcast platforms